Today's guest is Peter Nusterov, who holds a PhD in genetics from the University of Basel and a degree in biochem chemistry from the University of Tübingen. He's been working in the emerging single cell analysis market since 2015, and this gave him uh, the inspiration to start Skylight, goodness, as a co-founder and then moved to CEO in 2017. We're going to be discussing board management composition for deep tech startups. I'm Tony Wood from CEO Collaborative Forum, and let's hear CEO Reflex. Peter, a very, very warm welcome. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for this nice introduction, and I'm really happy to this uh, on this platform. So uh, I think the topic that we're going to discuss today is important, especially for deep tech startups, for biotech startups. Interesting. And in the first period, which I experienced myself as a co-founder, it is important how you set up the board. Uh, it sets you really for success. So I'm really happy to discuss this with you. Excellent. So, I mean, the, the first first question I really wanted to ask you, because I'm so pleased we, we picked this subject, is in your opinion, what is the ideal composition um, of a board, an executive team for a deep tech startup and to ensure the right mix of expertise and stakeholder representation and diversity? Mm -hmm. I think there is one a one sentence answer to this and a bit of a longer answer. So the one <laughs> sentence answer is diversity is key. I think it's really important to have diversity at different levels, and this has an impact on how the company would develop. And then the longer answer is what kind of diversity do you need there? So there would be a few difficult, uh, different types of diversity that are relevant. So one is gender diversity, and the other one is ethnic diversity. And we have expertise diversity, especially for deep tech and biotech startups. This is important to put the right expertise together. Uh, and then stakeholder representation. So these are a few of the points that are relevant uh, in how you compose the board. And, and how do you balance the need, because you'd mentioned um, technology expertise and business acumen, how do you manage that balance to get the right level of innovation? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so in the beginning, uh, when you start a, a startup, especially in deep tech biotech, Typically, the co-founders will be the technical people, so they will bring the technical expertise. And then over time, you may want to add other industry leaders who also have similar expertise. But in the very beginning, you would rely on the co-founders, potentially also the, the scientific uh, co-founders who may serve as advisors. And then you need to complement them with people who are experienced in setting up startups, in growing the business, in setting up the business in the beginning who have complementary skills to the founders. So this is important in the beginning to have this complementation. And then as the company evolves, and we can touch on this in more detail, this needs to evolve as well. And, and how do you figure out what skills you have? I mean, that, that requires a great deal of self-reflection, doesn't it? Indeed, indeed it does. I think the technical skills are easier to figure out where you're <laughs> good at technically, especially if you have a PhD in a certain topic. Uh, it's more, <laughs> It's more on the business skills and, and also the personal, the management skills. Um, and this is not so evident, especially if you're a first time founder, a first time CEO. Again, right. on my personal story, I was not sure or not clear about my strengths and weaknesses when I started the company. And what helped me was really to talk to other people who were experienced, who took this path already and were ahead of me a couple of years already in the business. And then talk to them, understand what's their journey and then project myself on this journey. 
And then, of course, as I was setting the company, in the, in the beginning, we were four people. Now we're 20. Goodness. I was also reflecting and seeing, okay, where do I have difficulties? Where do I feel emotionally uncomfortable? Because this potentially highlights my weaknesses. And where do I feel in my waters? Because this highlights your, uh, your strengths, mainly on the management side and going out, um, taking things internally, taking things externally. So these, these are the, the aspects that you need to look into. So are you more an introvert and liking to do your own thing? Or are you the expert people who would go and talk to un, unknown people, make new connections? Uh, so this you need to figure out rather early on because this would define where you would be serving the company best. I mean, that does, that does require a reasonable amount of self-reflection. So mm. what strategies have you utilized? Because obviously you've done it successfully. What strategies have you utilized to, to get that right background, to get um, the right level of um, diversity that's going to help your company flourish? Mm -hmm. So here I want to go back to the first question that you asked about diversity and the four elements that I outlined. For me, I grew up in... or. I grew up in Bulgaria, but then I moved to Germany and Switzerland, and I was al always working in an international environment um, in the scientific organizations where I did um, my master thesis and where I did my PhD. I experienced a very international multicultural environment. And this also for me yeah, was an eye opener how important this diversity is and these different perspectives. And this is something that I live myself and that I established also at Skylight. And here, this is also what I used at Skylight to set up a diverse team, a diverse set of advisors, uh, also diverse culturally, diverse in terms of gender and experience, because these different perspectives that come in as advice to me, I can see, are there any patterns? Are there any trends? Is there something that is an eye opener or a game changer that I can take up? So for me, this is how I leverage the diversity. So, so it helps reduce your risk because you don't have any blind spots, but also mm -hmm. are you saying it actually helps with innovation because there may be, hey, what about X? We hadn't really thought about that before. That's something that, you know, nobody would have thought about if everybody was the same, whatever that same was. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Uh, so it does help innovation because some new ideas you may not come up because of your own biases. And to this, I also wanted to talk about a recent study that I found. And this is actually the most comprehensive study on the composition of boards that I found so far. Mm -hmm. It's been published uh, in 2019 by a Canadian team. And they studied 12,000 companies over a period of 14 years from 2001 to 2014. Uh, so they uh, analyzed the composition of the boards. They analyzed also the composition of the executive team and the impact on innovation um, in terms of patent output, increase in patent output during this time. So this was their main readout. And guess what? So in this period, these were companies covering 45 countries like the US or so all continents. Yep. So can you guess what is the percentage of female representation in the boards of these companies? 12,000 companies. Of the top ones? No, of all 12,000. So of all of them. Average? I think it's likely to be reasonably low because mainly the Nordics are the ones that have the highest. I'd probably say it's likely to be around about, I'd guess, maybe 12, 13%. Mm-hmm. So 12, 13 is oh, your guess nice. for the mean across all? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're close um, and you're right, about, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're right about the trend with the Scandinavian countries. So it is actually 8%. Um, yep. Is it a, okay, okay, that's lower than I thought. That's lower than I thought, okay. And in the Scandinavian countries, it ranges from 18 to 27, 
Um, but yes. this is also because of some regulations that have been put in place, like for example, Norway, um, some 20 years ago, they, they put a regulation that requires companies to have 40% female representation in the boards. So you see this trend and they increased up to 27 in this 10 year period. But then other countries on the lower end, um, for example, Japan has only 2% female representation. Yeah. Argentina and Peru have 3% and Malta also has 2%. So you have this, uh, Kind of extremes on, on the it, it is it's challenging isn't it because to be on the board you either need to or a lot of people feel you need to have that experience to have wisdom but that isn't always the case and and we don't we don't have enough female ceos to then go mm -hmm. on to be neds etc um i think that's something that, that we're looking to hopefully address with next gen and cocf Mm -hmm. um to to readdress some of um some of that balance and what was your point what, what did this yeah. report give to you hopefully you can link it for for the listeners but what um what was the what was your what what made you what did you think about after mm -hmm. this yeah so the conclusion of the study was that um in higher female representation on the board actually correlates with higher innovation ef efficiency so they clearly showed it with all the data that they had uh, they also took Norway as an example because they had data pre-reform before the reform was put in place where the female representation was lower and post-reform. And they could clearly see that, again, across the sample size and averaged across within the country, there was an increase in innovation efficiency. Uh, and there is actually another study by McKinsey, also recent from 2020, where they analyzed the same problem. They looked more into executive teams, less on, less on in the boards, more in the executive teams. And there they could also show that teams that are at the higher end of diversity, so higher gender diversity, but also higher ethnical diversity, mm -hmm. um, they overperform financially the teams with lower gender and ethnical diversity by 25%. So 25% for gender diversity and 35% for ethnical diversity. So this was the overperformance in terms of financial uh, readout. Re it, it, it would be interesting to understand why, because mm -hmm. once we understand the why, then you can come around to because I mean, at the end of the day, businesses are, are looking to increase their performance. And mm -hmm. it seems like a, a no brainer based on this information to actually um, to actually increase that diversity. So mm -hmm. I wonder why a people haven't read this and then B, I wonder what they can do about it. Maybe would that be something you could come back and maybe we could have a, another discussion around that, Peter? Absolutely. Happy to do it. Awesome. Once once you've set this up, and it sounds like you've got this within Skylight as well, a diverse board that's helping you progress, how do you maintain it? How do you maintain that relationship, that collaboration? That's also a good question. And I had such a discussion last week with a colleague. So he said, yeah, how, how do you keep this uh, team being so diverse? Because it's not, you know, by now it's not intentional that we... Um, hire people from from yet a different country so in within the team of 20 people at skylight we have 12 nationalities represented mm. and also in in the management team we have three people in the management team and two are women and i'm the only male and by now it's part of the culture of the company so this culture attracts people from diverse backgrounds and we do not select them we just have a very diverse pool of candidates that uh, that apply for jobs at skylight um, so once you've started, I can't, I can't believe that people would choose a less productive company. Well, there are some 
challenges that you you need to be aware about, and this may ah. trigger some people to to go back to a less diverse background. So having these different perspectives it, for me is very enriching, but it also could be challenging because of the different communication styles, different perceptions, and if you're not conscious about it, it may lead also to conflicts, to miscommunication, misalignment. Okay. And one way to solve it is to say, well, we go to a less diverse background where everyone has the same perspective, so we understand each other better, we communicate better. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah, that will work. But then you remove uh, the diversity of perspectives. So yeah. I think that's the challenge where one could fall into this trap. And and, and what, what one thing would you recommend to say a first-time CEO? What would you say, this is what I recommend you do? You're going to do this just one thing. So if they did just one thing, after listening to this podcast, what would you recommend they do? Um, something we didn't talk about, and I think it's really important, but I'm not sure whether this is the first thing I would do. Okay. So the stakeholder representation is really key as well. And in the beginning, so the stakeholders for a startup would be your investors. It would be later you, your employees when you have more employees, customers when they're customers. But in the beginning, the first stakeholders will be the founders and the investors. So these two groups you need to balance. And inevitably, you need to take an investor director once you get money from investors. One learning is pick carefully the investor mm -hmm. and also the people with whom you work because the initial board composition defines also how the company will develop later. So I think be extremely careful also to make sure that there is a culture of fit with the first directors in the board, with the first non-founder directors. That's probably the first recommendation that I would give. Later when the board and the company develops, I think another important point is also the independent directors. And right. there are also quite a few studies that show the importance of independent directors in the board to maintain the balance between stakeholders. Because at some point also when the business grows, you have the initial groups of the founders and the investors. But their interests need to be balanced and at some point, you need also to have representation for the employees, again, for customers and external stakeholders. And for me, the best way to do it is with an independent director. And this is also what we've set up at Skylight. Actually, now we have board composed of five people, two investor directors, two independent directors, and only one founder director. And this is a good balance. So to having two independent directors in a board of five, I find it to be a great balance and it really enriches the board uh, significantly. Peter, look, thank you so much. I think that's really, really good advice. I would love you to come back. As I said before, there's lots of us, lots of things here to dig into. Um, but I really appreciate I know you're amazingly busy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks a lot, Tony.